throughout Peter, we are called strangers and exiles. This world is not our home. We are now priests in God's kingdom, and we are to point others to Jesus in the way we live our lives, especially in suffering. When we anchor our hope in Jesus, we can show people how to live better, not bitter. Good morning. How are you guys? It's a good week? Some of you are like, today's a good day, but last week was a different story, man. Yeah, that's fair. I get, I get you. Uh, my name is Dylan Meyer. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, I have the blessing to kind of bring this series to a close um, today. Uh, but before I do that, I wanted to, to acknowledge that I feel like we're in a season of change. How many of you guys like change? Just one of you. <laughs> Two of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, sometimes change is a good thing. Sometimes change is like moving your cups to a different cabinet. You go to the wrong cabinet for the next week and a half. Um, yeah. But as, as things kind of change in Manhattan, one of those things is students are coming back or, or maybe people are moving in for jobs or, or maybe it's just uh, you decided to go to a different church. If you're a new face, if this is a change of scenery for you, we would love to say hey. And so um, if you grabbed a worship guide on your way in, there's a connect card um, there on the bottom if you want to fill that out or if you've been here um, for a long time but something in your life has changed, give us an update. We, we care about you, and these Connect cards help us care for you better. Um, so go ahead, fill that out. I love change. I love change. One of the things that's changing right now is that we're getting ready to launch new life groups, and I'm super excited about where we're going, what we're doing, and why we're headed there. Um, other change is less fun, um, but... I think change is, is something in life that gives us an opportunity to respond better or respond bitter. And, and, and my wife and I are in a, in a very interesting season of change right now because things are changing so quickly, so quickly. Here's a for instance. Um, I took our daughter to her nine-month checkup the other day, um, and, and her, her developmental progress is insane. Like, she's just, she's changing so quickly. Um, if you guys have an iPhone, um, you're your photos app sorts people into albums based on the person. Um, my iPhone thought that my daughter was three different people because she's changed that much in, in nine months. Um, we showed up to the doctor's appointment and I was in there and the doctor's asking me questions and, the, and she asks, is, is your baby sitting up well by herself? Like, sitting up well? She drove here, okay? Like, we're, we're moving right along. What kind of a question is that? Um, Change, change happens so quickly. Another thing that's changing is um, sports looks different in my life than what it used to. I, I love to play sports. I love to be involved in sports, uh, but I'm no longer a participant. Now I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. So my wife and I are coaching um, junior high volleyball this year, and, and it's so crazy to be on that side of the bench, to be the one with, with all of the thoughts and none of the control. It's just a whole different thing. Um, and then when we do get the opportunity to play sports of some kind, it's different. That has changed. There's more stretching required. There's more stretching involved. Um, it, but it's, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. Uh, but it's definitely changed. Definitely changed. One of the other things that I've noticed 
that has changed so much just in my lifetime is I asked the students probably a year ago in youth group a, a particular question. I'm going to ask you that question now. So I want you to take your right hand and stick it out. And I want you to act as if this is a phone. If it rings, I want you to answer it right now. Answer, answer your hand phone. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are, are like classic telephone. Some of you are, are cranking it on the wall with the speaker. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I asked the students that, and all of our leaders went like this, and all of our students went like this. Because FaceTime is their world. That's how the phone has changed. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's still a phone. You still use it to communicate with somebody else. It's, it's the same thing, but we hold it differently. We hold it differently. We don't hold it like this anymore. We don't, now we hold it like this. It's, it's amazing how things change and how we can have the same thing in our hands, but we, it matters how we hold it. And, and that's what Peter's kind of getting at it as we've, we've been walking through this series about being better, not bitter. Peter's been walking us through um, the circumstances that, that the early church is dealing with, and, and everybody's holding the same thing. Everybody's holding the same circumstance in their hand, and he's telling them, I want you to hold it better. I don't want you to hold it with bitterness. And so he's telling them how to hold it. And, and so just give you a little bit of, of where we've gone in that. Peter, we've been walking through this series and looking at how Peter has told us how to, how to hold this as, like, as if we are exiles, to hold that with betterness rather than bitterness, um, to look at us um, as living stones, holding that as betterness, not bitterness, how, how to hold um, submission as a betterness opportunity rather than from a posture of bitterness, how to hold suffering with betterness, not bitterness. Somebody's going to have to tell me later if betterness is even a word. But Peter's been walking us through this. Um, and the circumstance that they were holding was difficult. He, he opens up his book talking about how he's writing to the dispersed. He's, he's writing to several churches that have been dispersed by persecution. That's what they are holding. And he's teaching them, this is how I want you to hold that better. And so we're going to wrap up today by, by jumping into 1 Peter chapter 5. This is, this is his closing chapter. And he focuses on one thing that they are to hold. And he asks them to hold the idea of being better by being a shepherd to the flock. And so we're, we're going to jump in and we're going to trudge through this whole passage and then we're going to go back and break it down. Does that sound okay? Awesome. I didn't know what I was going to do if you said no. Okay, so, so Peter jumps in, and we're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 5 and go through verse 11. And again, he's writing this to a church, church is, that are suffering with persecution. And because of that, they've kind of scattered and, and breaking apart, and they're just, they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to get through. If anybody had a really good excuse to be bitter, I feel like these are probably the people. But Peter picks up and he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And then he goes on, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's focusing in on this one key thing. Shepherd the flock. And that, that's his advice to everyone that he's speaking to in this passage, but he's going to come at that from a couple different angles. And so I want to hop in and, and look at verse 1 through 4 again. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. But then he tells them how he wants them to do that. He's clarified what? He wants them to shepherd the flock, but he wants them to do that in a particular way. And so then he goes on to describe that. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Look over them, not under compulsion, but willingly. Do it because you want to, not because you feel like you have to, because you're being forced to. Do it willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, not domineering, not taking it with arrogance and control over the people that you're leading, but do it in love and care for them. You see, he, he validates something that I think a lot of us have a hard time validating. The, the elders, the people that have been around, they have something exceptional, something valuable to offer. And I think a lot of times the younger generation just wants to smooth right past that. They don't want to acknowledge that somebody other than them maybe knows better. And so Peter validates that, but then he asks the elders to hold what they have in a particular way. Because they have authority. They have respect. They have experience. They have knowledge. They have advice to give. But it's not just what you have. It's how you hold it. And so I, I want you to think with me for a second. I want you to think... Um, of a time when you've been in opportunity, you've been in a space where you had the opportunity to offer someone advice. You had the opportunity to offer someone your experience, your knowledge. You had the opportunity to shepherd them. 
And now I want you to consider, how did you do that? How did you do that? If they took your advice, did you offer it in humility? Did you offer it eagerly? Did you do it willingly? Did they have to pry it out of you? If they didn't take it, then how did you respond? Did you find them later, a couple weeks, with a, a big fat, I told you so? How did that situation go? Because the picture that Peter is painting for us is a shepherd that has everything that the sheep needs. They know where to go, how to get there, why it's good that you're there, lead them to green pastures, to, to calm waters. The shepherd has what the sheep needs. And a good shepherd has a shepherd's staff, a shepherd's hook, which is designed for you to grab a hold of the sheep and guide them, to lead them, to move them toward where they need to go because you have what they need. But a shepherd's hook used that way, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. But I think sometimes in particular opportunities, I want to take hold of my authority and I want to hold that shepherd's hook a little bit more like a baseball bat. Because not everybody listens the first time. And so instead of wa like walking with them humbly and telling them lovingly over and over again um, what is the right direction, I'd rather just whack them one time real good and see if that works. It's not just what you have. It's how you hold it. Because I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever been whacked in the head with advice... It makes it a little bit harder to take it. Sometimes a stern correction is a good thing, but sometimes I think we ignore advice because we're beaten with it. And maybe that's been you, where somebody approached you and you needed loving correction and they assaulted you with their experience. It's not just what you have, it's how you hold it. Because I think sometimes we struggle when people don't take our advice. Because we know that we have what they need. But the truth of the matter is, we're not the only person that's given them advice. And when I, when I was thinking about the shepherd's hook, I don't spend a lot of time with sheep, but I do spend a lot of time with dogs. We have two. We have a Great Dane and a Golden Retriever, and we do not abuse our dogs by any sense of the means, but they're large dogs, and so if they do something that they should not do, sometimes that requires a, a large correction, and so I'll pop our Golden Retriever on the nose. It's not like I kick him. That would be rude, but a nice little pop on the nose gets the point across, and the first time that I raised my hand to pet him, and he flinched, I really thought twice about what I was doing. Because that is something that is a learned behavior for him, that if I raise my hand above his nose, I'm not petting him, I'm correcting him. And sometimes, maybe in frustration, I corrected him in the wrong way. Sometimes when we encounter people, and we have advice that will leave, lead them to green pastures, to living waters, we raise our hand to say, hey, stop, I have something that you need. 
but they've had experiences in the past where someone did just that and offered them a very different experience. Sometimes people still flinch because of what they've lived in the past, not what you're living in the moment. It's not just what you have, it's how you hold it. Peter does a beautiful job of expressing that to the elders, but then he moves right on and, and he talks to the youth. We'll pick up in, in verse five. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Peter points out the value of, of the experience, the knowledge, the wisdom that the elders have. But he encourages the young people as well. I love that he tells them to be humble, not to be absent. Sometimes I think the way that we view the younger generation is like you should just shut up and be quiet until you've reached an age in which you have something to contribute but Peter validates that in humility, in the right posture, they have something to contribute now. Elders have, have wisdom and authority and experience, but the youth have creativity and energy and perspective that no one else has. They have something valuable to offer now, and then he tells them it's not just what you have, it's how you hold it. If you have something, if you have a new perspective to offer hold that in humility. If you have something to offer with energy that you can go and do something that someone else can't do, hold that in humility. Don't snatch it from their hands, but ask for it and then take it and run with it. They have something valuable. But to hold it in humility is to hold it as a gift, and sometimes that gift is taken and sometimes it is not. I think the, the tough thing for the younger generation is not to be offendable by that. I think sometimes we have a gift to offer and when it's rejected, we just want to take our ball and go home. And so we cancel the community as a whole rather than just that one bad experience. You see, Peter sees the value in the flock. He sees the value in the shepherd, and he sees the value of these generations, both elder and youth, interacting with one another. They make each other better. They both have something that the other does not. And I think it's hard for us sometimes to see that as a good thing, because sometimes different is difficult, and we don't like that. but it's worth it. And sometimes that's a tough sell. That difficult is worth it for everyone to be together. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself trying to sell what we have here. Trying to sell Jesus to someone. Trying to, to, to make it seem worth it for them to be with him. Trying, trying to sell church to someone trying to sell an experience to them, I feel like I have to gussy it up to make it seem worthwhile. 
But one of my favorite things is, is when Peter's talking to, to these people, he says, cast all your anxieties on God. And then he gives it one qualifying statement. He doesn't oversell. He just says, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. When I was moving through this scripture this week, that phrase hit me like a ton of bricks. Because so often I ask myself, why am I doing this? Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I approach the people that I approach? Why do I make time for the things that I make time for and, and the things that I don't? And sometimes things are difficult and I feel like God's just telling me, just hang on a little longer. And I'm like, why? Because he cares for you. Why should I deal with somebody that I don't agree with? Because God cares for you and he has a picture. He has an image. He has a goal in mind that we don't see yet. And he has a way in which we get there that just makes sense. One of the images that stuck out to me when I was, oh gosh, I wasn't even 20 yet, um, was this idea of leadership, not as leading, but as following. And I like that because every, every ounce of me is opposed to being a leader. Um, but I felt like God has placed people in my life that he wants me to pour into, and I, I can't have my cake and eat it too. Like, I can't not be a leader and, and not lead someone, if that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure that it does in my own head. But the image that, that he placed before me was, was the idea of a shepherd and a flock. And that as a member of the flock, our, our job is just to be the first follower. You see, even when Peter speaks to the elders, he then pulls back in and talks uh, immediately about the chief shepherd. See, they're not leaders. We are not the leader. We're just the first follower chasing after Jesus. And if someone is following us productively, they're only following us because we're following him. And so our job is to be the first follower, which means that there should be someone walking in front of us. There should be someone walking behind us, and there should be someone walking alongside us. I've, I've experienced the blessing of this community so much within the last few years. I'll give you a for instance um, of someone that was walking in front of me, somebody that was a first follower, and I was following them because I knew that they were following him. When I was a senior at Manhattan Christian College, I had a large project that I had to polish up in order to be eligible for graduation. Um, and I dropped the ball on it in a relatively large way. Like it was questionable as to whether or not I'd have to wait another semester to graduate. And so my professor that I was supposed to be turning this into asked me to come into his office and he grabbed his shepherd's hook and he pulled me in. And he didn't beat me with it, but he said, you screwed up. Like, this, this is a big deal, and you dropped the ball in a big way, and there's a natural consequence to that. But then he said, now let's figure out how we can walk together to get you where you need to go in spite of that. You see, he had experience that I didn't have. He had knowledge that I didn't have. I needed him to get where I was going. And I messed up. He validated that. 
but then he walked with me to make sure that I ended up where I needed to go. And because of the way that he responded, the way that he led, the way that he was a first follower in that scenario, I've continued to meet with him almost monthly for the last year and a half for coffee. And he teaches me every time we meet how to be a better youth pastor, how to be a better father, how to be a better husband, how to be a better friend, how to be a better man, how to be a better Christ follower. Because of not just what he had, but how he held it. I knew this is someone that is following after Christ. And I want to be like that because I want to be like Jesus. Another thing that I've been blessed with is not just somebody walking in front of me, but people walking alongside me. I grabbed a hold of a couple guys a while ago and we discussed that we would like to, to get together and to talk about life and to talk about Jesus. And that has been such a tremendous blessing for a couple of reasons. One, we all hold that space with the same amount of humility. With, the, with these two guys, every time I step into that space, never once does somebody act like they know more than I do. In fact, they value what I have to say and what I bring to the table. They, don't, they, they do their best to build me up and never to tear me down. And so we live life with each other, which means that when we get together, we talk about, well, this is what's going on in my life, in my life and this is how I'm trying to chase Jesus in that. And then the next one, it was, well, this is what's going on in my life, and this is how I'm trying to chase Jesus in that. And then the third one chimes in the same way, and then, and then we go around, well, what has God been teaching you? And then we all learn. And then the next one says, well, what has God been teaching you? And then we all learn. And some days we get together, and it's like, well, this is how I'm suffering right now. And then we suffer together. What a blessing it is to have people shoulder to shoulder chasing Jesus with me. Because of them, I'm better. And I'd, I'd be an idiot if I didn't validate that she's not one of the guys, but man, my wife makes me better. My wife makes me better. But it's not just the people walking in front or beside us that bless us. One of the things that I've really began to learn in this last year is that I have been tremendously blessed from the people that are walking behind me. The people that I am seeking to be a shepherd to, the people that I am seeking to be an elder to, the people that I am seeking to pour into have so blessed me in return for a couple reasons. One, they challenge me. To, when they ask me questions about why I think the way I think or what, why I believe what I believe, I have to understand it so well that when I explain it, it makes sense to someone that's not just me. And that challenges me in an amazing way. It deepens my knowledge of scripture. It, it helps me better understand the, the relationship that I have with Christ. They challenge me because they ask tough questions. Sometimes they ask really weird questions and that's a thing that we deal with too. But it's been such a blessing. And they teach me. They teach me new things. I recently downloaded Be Real on my, on my smartphone. I am learning so much about how social media works these days. It's different. It has changed for sure. But it's, it's fun. It's exciting to learn new things, to learn about their perspective. But 
I think one of the biggest things that impacted me is that the people that I am seeking to serve have served me in spaces that I didn't create space for them to serve, and they did it anyway. When we were at camp this summer, um, my wife and I were in a tough spot. We had been financially very lean, um, and our dryer had been broken for weeks, and I got a call on the second day of camp that our washer was now also broken. And so in an effort to lead the students with vulnerability and authenticity, I told our small group at camp the struggle that I was dealing with. My only intention to show them that sometimes when we suffer, we just have to grit through it. Like sometimes when things go all the wrong way, we don't have to just give up on God in the process. And they served me and blessed me in return. When we got back from camp, we canceled youth group because I was tired. And several of them came over to our house and blessed us with enough money to buy a new washer and dryer. This community is worth it. And sometimes the people that teach you the most are the people that you're trying to teach. And that's such a beautiful thing. How this flock works together is everybody's chasing Jesus. The best thing that we can do is just try to be the first follower. And it's amazing what happens when that happens. And it's, it's so easy to buy into the narrative that culture serves us that if you disagree with somebody, you can't get along with them. And if you can't get along with them, you can't be with them. And if you can't be around them, then you should just cancel them from your life. Because that's the narrative that we have and, and the thought on community that culture spins is so not the community that's based around the character of Christ. And so sometimes it's really easy to buy into that narrative and to miss the value in sticking it out and being t together. But Peter addresses this too. He picks up in, in verse 8 and he says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, proles prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This community is worth it. And Satan is fully aware of what happens when this community engages with each other with the character of Christ. Satan is fully aware of how dangerous this community is to his plans and his schemes when we do what God wills us to do. And he also knows that the best thing he can do is to pick us apart and make us easier for him to attack. I saw this picture a while ago, and it made me laugh until it made me cry, and we'll throw it up right now. It's a picture of zebras in the background and a lion that has separated one off and is chasing it down. And to be totally honest, that little guy or girl, toast. Like, absolutely no shot that that zebra is surviving, which is why this is kind of a sad picture. But also, the thing that made me laugh 
was the caption because it says, if I'm a Christian but don't need a church was a photo. And I laughed like out loud until my stomach hurt. And then it sunk in that although like I resonate with this a little bit because I run into people that are like, yeah, I love Jesus, but I just don't care for his people. And I'm like, well, that ideally shouldn't be like that. Because if we love Jesus, we should be willing to be gracious with people that are idiots. And sometimes I'm an idiot. But if we act like Christ, we walk in step with the flock that we were intended to be. And just like that picture, that, that herd of, of zebra, I don't know what plural zebra is, that herd were designed to walk together and they're stronger, they're better that way. And it's the same for us. We are better together than we are apart because we bring things to the table that each other do not have. And the body of Christ is viewed in its fullest beauty when we are together. The body of Christ was never intended to be separated out and segregated and one foot doesn't do you much good, but two might. One ear doesn't always do you much good, but two might. One eye. Depth perception is totally a two eyeball thing. If you've ever walked around like this, you run into everything. It takes the whole body. And that's what we're made for. And I promise you that it's worth it. But Satan knows that if he disrupts discipleship, if he disconnects us, if he gets us angry and all hot and flustered with each other, or if, or if he can just get us to disagree, maybe we'll consider splintering off. And I totally get it, because I have a do-it-yourself mentality. My pride is my best asset until it's not. And that picture, the ugly truth, is that when I'm alone with just my pride, I am so in danger. So in danger. We need a community. And if we walk with each other in the character of Christ, we are better, stronger together. Because we can stand firm in our faith. Because difficulty is coming. The lion still attacks. We're just ready for it. When Peter says to resist him, firm in your faith. God was teaching me about what firm in your faith really means. Just a couple weeks ago when Pastor Brian was talking about living stones, my, my brain was spinning on, on a firm foundation, a cornerstone of Christ. Because that's where we're supposed to build our faith. Our life is set on a firm foundation. And God kind of poked me a little bit. And he's like, just because I said firm foundation doesn't mean that you will be unshaken. A firm foundation is not unshaken. It just means that when it is shaken, it does not fall. And so know that difficulty is coming. And that's one of the reasons that this community, this idea of being firm with one another, shepherding the flock and standing firm in our faith in pursuit of the chief shepherd, there's a reason that that is so important because difficulty is coming. Difficulty is probably already here. Some of us have been suffering from a while, for a while now. And we need that. Conflict is coming. Disruption is coming. Suffering is coming. Disagreement is coming. 
one thing that I love is Peter tells us to have hope. He tells us in, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter does such a good job of putting the end picture in sight. Sometimes it's so hard to see past this moment into the will and desire that God has big picture. And so Peter paints that big picture for us that we may suffer a little while. I, again, little while. I laughed until I cried because sometimes it doesn't seem like a little while. And I'm like, Peter get that man like sometimes the day is tough and the week is horrible and sometimes the months really aren't that great either like sometimes there's seasons even for some of us years decades maybe where something we're suffering through i'm like peter get that why don't you get that but the truth is the weight of that suffering even though long is still temporary in comparison to an eternity of blessing that God has in store and in mind for us because he's with us now in the suffering, thank gosh, because I don't think that we could do it without him. But the truth of the matter is, is he's coming in fullness to remove the suffering permanently. And so then there may be bitter moments, but there's definitely a better plan. And because of that, we can have hope. We're supposed to shepherd the flock. We're supposed to care for each other until the chief shepherd returns to finish what he has already started. And I, I don't know how else to sell it to you guys other than to say, because he cares for you. Everything that you have to offer in this body of Christ is because he's poured it out on you. And so my prayer for you is that you just have the blessing of pouring out of your overflow. That is my prayer for this community, that we would always care for each other out of the caring that Christ has already begun in us. Because thank Jesus, he loved us first. He met us in this suffering and he's in it with us pulling us out of it. He doesn't leave us abandoned. Sometimes I'm the sheep that gets out and then right back into the mess that I was just in. And he doesn't beat me with the stick, but he guides me to green pastures and, and he leads me to living waters and he has prepared something for me that I need desperately. And he's not gonna leave me alone until I get there. And thank goodness that I can throw everything difficult at him because he cares for me. He cares for us. And so as we move to a time of response, as we new, move to a space of offering, I want you to consider what it is that you have to offer. I, I want to give you guys a couple things to consider in this space because he loved us first, and the only reasonable response is to love him back. And so that means responding to him. And so I want you to consider, maybe if you're an elder, or maybe if you're youth, I guess, if you're a part of the flock, 
what is it that you have to offer? Is, is that a time? Is that a talent? Is that an ability? Is that a finance? Is that a, I don't know. But what is it that you have to offer? And are you holding that gift back? The second thing I want you to consider is, if you have a gift, how are you holding it? If you have wisdom and experience, are you using that to beat people over the head with their idiocracy? Or are you using that to lead them to a better way? How are you holding that? And the last thing I want you to consider is who are you walking with? Do you have someone walking in front of you? Do you have someone following behind? And do you have someone living life shoulder to shoulder with you? Because I don't want any of us to be the zebra, the sheep, the whatever, standing all by yourself, getting attacked from all angles. I want you to consider what response do you need to step into today to get one step closer to Jesus being the first follower? Because God wants us to care for each other within the character of Christ. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you that you loved us first. I thank you that you gave us a perfect example in the midst of imperfect circumstances. That you suffered for us and with us. That you set an example of how we are to take the change, the difficulty, the suffering, the strife of this life, and to hold it better not hold it in bitterness. And so God, I just ask that you would meet us where we're at today. That you would show us what you've poured into us. That you would help us hold it well. That you would surround us with people that care for us, that are willing to walk before us, beside us and behind us. God, meet us in that space that we would not be alone. And God, I pray that this church, that this flock, that the flock as a whole would pursue you as the chief shepherd, that we would not get lost or led astray, but that we would be exactly who you made us to be. Father, have your way in us. We love you, we praise you, and we surrender ourselves to you. Amen. <laughs>